And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Are you tired of not earning anything on your hard-earned money? Your path to more money starts with a certificate from Pathways Financial Credit Union. Right now, earn a 2.68% annual percentage yield on a 60-month certificate with a minimum balance of just $500. Great rates like this have helped make Pathways the fastest-growing credit union in Ohio over the last 10 years. Earn more on your money. Stop by any convenient location. Or check us out at PathwaysCU.com. Pathways is federally insured by the NCUA. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect. Perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and More. Welcome, everyone, to episode three of the NBA podcast presented by B Ball Breakdown. I'm Brian Tiporic, and joining me today are Morton Jensen and Sarah Chilea. Morton, how are you? I'm doing very well, Brian. How about you? Doing well. How about you, Sarah? How are you doing today? Doing okay, guys. All right, well, Sarah, I, I want to start with you because as our resident Spurs fan, since we've recorded last time, we've had not one but two Golden State Warriors. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles excludes in-store clearance. San Antonio Spurs showdowns. The Dubs emerge victorious in both. Uh, they did a number on the Spurs in Golden State on Thursday. Yep. And then we just had, we're recording this on a Monday, so we just had Spurs Warriors Part 4 last night. Uh, and it was a nail-biter till the end. But the Dubs squeaked one out, and they appear to be on their way to a 73-9 and record if they can beat the Memphis Grizzlies on Wednesday. So Sarah, I want to ask you, were, you, were there any major takeaways from either of those games? Uh, what did you see that the Spurs either did or didn't do well? Yeah, uh, I'm happy to talk about uh, what was encouraging and what was not so encouraging. Uh, first of all, I, I really liked the way LaMarcus played Sunday night. Uh, he has not been great in Oakland yet, either time. Uh, but I was really encouraged by the fact that, you know, going back to the first time they met in January, he spent too much time trying to back down Draymond Green. That is not the way that we want to go if we're going to be successful. He, you know, Draymond's not going anywhere. And not only that, but the more time you spend just pounding the basketball trying to move him, it, it doesn't really promote movement in the offense. People just stand and watch. And you have to move them around if you're going to score on them. 
so last night he did more, you know, that, that fake right kind of turn over the left shoulder that he's really good at. He had a few more, not as many as I'd like to see, but a few more like pick and pops, mid-range shots from the elbow, mid-range shots from the baseline. He's got to mix it up and, and score that way if he's going to be successful against them. So that was great. Thursday night, he dislocates his pinky, and he's still having problems with that, apparently. But uh, So I don't know what we can take away from that game. But he did start out the game trying to back down Draymond a little bit. Don't want to see that very much. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I really liked the way that he looked uh, Sunday. He was aggressive, and he was smart. Um, also encouraging, obviously, the defense. They still haven't done it in Oracle either time. So they're going to have to do that if they meet them again. But I think they've shown that they have, you know, if they bring the proper focus, and it's going to take that for 48 minutes, they can defend that team about as well as anybody can probably defend them. So that's important. They can certainly compete. Um, I think it was great that they somehow competed in that game, even though they only made three threes. They get outscored by 21 points on the three-point line. Uh, no one outside of L.A. shoots well, literally no one. <laughs> uh, well, we'll give Kevin Martin a little bit of love. I think he was like three of five. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty terrible for everybody else. Uh, Steph goes off in the third quarter, 16 points, and they live to tell about it. They're only down one after after that quarter. So all of that is encouraging. Less encouraging would obviously be the offense. They're averaging about 90 points per game against the Warriors, and no matter how well you defend, you're going to have to score against that team. You have to score with them somewhat. Uh, You want to be hopefully at least in the mid-90s, if not somewhere around 100, and they haven't really done that yet except for that Thursday night game, and that only really happened because of garbage time that they got up over 100. The bench has really struggled. They have not really gained ground in a single game, in any of their shifts, that's scary. I don't know if they can they can play with that Warriors bench. It's so, you know, almost as as versatile and athletic as their starters, and that's not true of the Spurs bench. So, you know, Patty's gonna have to find a way that he can contribute. Uh, Danny Green is really really struggling. He he's given almost nothing on the offensive end. You know, which he he made. A few threes in Oakland the other night, so there was a little bit of hope that you know he might be able to get on track. But then he goes right back to going over uh, Sunday night, so that's a big problem. I think Sean Elliott said after the game, the Spurs have been mediocre offensively for a lot of the season, and I was actually glad to hear him say that because that's kind of been the dirty secret of the Spurs season. For if you're not watching closely, if you just see the numbers, you know they they still have a historic point differential. I think it's like top five in history. Uh, they still slightly have the edge in point differential over the Dubs, even though they've lost more games. Um, but they have not had a consistent attack. They have not always looked like they know what they want to do on offense, and that's all throughout the season. It hasn't it hasn't been impressive. Uh, there's, you know, they're still shooting a little bit better from three-point range. Uh, I think they're number two for the season in that, but it's it's misleading because pre-All-Star game they were shooting 
post-All-Star game, they're shooting 34.8. And that's that's 33% in March and down to 29.8 in April. Danny and, and Patty and, and even Kawhi, they're all slumping at the same time right now. And according to ESPN stats, the Spurs were only 15 of 43 on uncontested shots Sunday night and 19 of 47 contested. So in there, it's it's sort of encouraging because you think, well, they're getting some good looks, but they haven't made them in any of the games yet. So that is a concern. I think Tony Parker, you know, he's getting some decent looks, but he's not being aggressive enough coming off the screens. When he does take the mid-range shot, I mean, that's a shot that has been his bread and butter for, you know, like five, five or six years now, but he's just not making it this year. I, you know, I don't know if it doesn't look like there's a reason physically why he can't. He looks like he's moving well enough, but he's just not making them. And that's last year Pop said that after after the Spurs lost in the first round. We just didn't have enough guys play well. <laughs> and so that may happen that may happen again. Really you know, no one is playing well against this team. So it remains to be seen. But it's it's encouraging for the most part, but I don't know what's gonna happen, guys. <laughs> don't don't you love Spurs fans more than they can lose twice and there's still just pure optimism it's amazing <laughs> yeah we missed something about that yeah i don't know how uh, that goes uh that no I, I think it's at least worth noting that tim duncan did not play sunday mm-hmm. night so pop did hold that card out and neither uh, did boris right, so it, that's something but yeah, yeah uh they've played four times now the spurs have failed to score more than 90 points in three of those four games. So it does seem like offense is the big concern for them in this series because we've seen, um, I want to say, in three of the four games, they've held Golden State to 20 or fewer points in the first quarter. So their defense is shockingly impressive against this historically great offensive team. Morton, do you think the Spurs have any shot of knocking off the Warriors if they do meet? in the conference finals or should we just crown the Warriors right now? Well, no, nobody's crowning any, anything yet. Not with the Spurs still in the mix. Uh, their defense, as mentioned, is that good as advertised, but uh, I think it's a fair point to say that it's been like the big secret uh, in regards to the San Antonio's offense, because I'm looking at the numbers right now. And the, the thing is they hit well from the field, but their volume in several areas is rather problematic. You, you, they are 28th in the league in free throw attempts. They are 25th in the league in three-point field goal attempts. However, they rank second in the league in free throw percentage and second in the league in three-point field goal percentage. So they're making the few shots that they take. They're just not taking enough of them. Um, they're, I mean, they hit seven triples at, at night compared to what the Dubs are doing and compared to where the league is going. That's just not enough. So they need a little bit more extra firepower in that regard. But outside of that, I I, I think they can pick it up. Like Tim is going to get a little bit better in the playoffs. I think personally, it seems like he always steps up in, when things are getting on the line a little bit. It seems like he's just moved past this entire regular season idiom because it's it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, yeah. So I I think it's going to be interesting to see how they pick up the offense. Like let's just. Look Look at LaMarcus Aldridge. Since, uh, since over the past 30 games, he's been scoring 21.4 a night on 54% from the field and 91 from the three-throw line. And 
he's doing that in less than 33 minutes a game. So if he can keep that volume and that efficiency up a little bit, I think it's going to open up the court for Tim and Tony and whatnot. The one thing that I've been slightly disappointed at in regards to LaMarcus in San Antonio is actually the aforementioned lack of threes. He hasn't made a three yet this season. And it seemed like last year he was starting to step out a little bit. I think he nailed 37 triples last year. I was kind of hoping that San Antonio spacing would allow him to step outside and get that extra point in, but it seems like they're mostly using him as this mid-range guy, which isn't really a problem because he can hit the shot, but getting that extra point out of possession might have benefited them a little bit. So we'll see. Uh, I think Pop has a lot of cards to play, so I'm not crowning the dubs just yet, but... I'm putting them as the favorites. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. And it's a good point about Lamarcus because he definitely had started to expand his range a little bit in Portland that last year, and now it does seem like they've gone back to using him as the 16, 18 footer, kind of like the the Bulls with Pau Gasol. <laughs> oh, that that's that's a nice leeway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I do want to touch on Sarah. You did mention Danny Green to me is the key to this because he has just been, I mean, I love the guy and as a fantasy basketball advocate, I've been, I was super high on him coming into the year. He was sneaky. Great last year. He's been brutal this year. He's been absolutely brutal shooting 37% Mm -hmm. from the field, 33% from three. The overall field goal percentage is the worst of his career. And that goes back to his Cleveland days uh, he, he was above 41% in each of the past four seasons from three. He's at 33% right now. I mean, he was the guy to give them that floor spacing, especially before Kawhi took his two-way leap into superstardom. And it just seems like his struggles, if, he, if they continue throughout that series, and there's no reason to expect them not to at this point, based on how he's been throughout this whole season, save for a few hot flashes. That seems like it's really going to be the undoing of the Spurs. So if he can somehow conjure the magic that turned him into a 41, 42% shooter from three, I, you know, it's anyone's ball game. But to me, that is going to be the thing to watch. And then also Boban. If Boban gets <laughs> into the game, all bets are off. Because he, when he came in last night, it was like Godzilla on the court. Like, he had... He had one possession where he really just bullied his way through three Warriors, and they could do nothing to stop him. He played well, yeah. I was, I was a little surprised. He hung in there. He, he was scrambling on defense, but he, he did all right, yeah. Boban, make basket. <laughs> he didn't. I mean, he didn't play in Oracle the other night, and then he, he comes in all of a sudden and just dominates. So I, I'm pushing for him for 35 minutes a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right about Danny. I mean, and he just he's given him almost nothing offensively. It's and and he still hasn't added that you know to where he can when he's driven off the line that he can hit that little floater. It's like it's terrifying when you see him driving under the basket. <laughs> you pretty much know what's going to happen before it happens. He's going to get up in the air and he's going to chuck it out to nobody <laughs> and it's going to be a turnover. And that's what happened last night. But he's got to hit. He's he had open looks. He had a few. He's got to hit a couple of those if the Spurs are going to have a chance. So. Yeah, I feel, I feel like you can 
limit the Warriors, but you're not going to shut them down outright. Like, you're, they're mm-hmm. not going to hold them to 79 points again. So you're going to have to at least score 90 to 95 to have a chance. Mm-hmm. Here, here's a thought. If Danny Green returns to normal at the entrance of the playoffs, you could argue that the Spurs would be gaining another starter. Yeah. yeah. The Spurs right now have won 65 games, which is a career high for their organization. And that's been with Tim Duncan at his lowest statistical output ever and with Danny Green struggling. That's huge. And that speaks volumes for the Spurs in a positive sense if those two guys return to what they usually are. So in that sense, <laughs> they're looking pretty damn good, aren't they? Even, yeah. even Tony. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the question, isn't it? You know, if those if those three guys can get back to like just slightly above average, then yeah, they're in good shape. But that that's going to be the question. Yeah, it definitely. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to see it. Let's let's pray to the basketball gods right now that in mid May we will be talking about this for seven games much as I want the Thunder to do well. I feel like it's just a crime if we don't get Warrior Spurs in the conference <laughs> finals this year. But until then, let's move our attention to the East, where the playoffs are locked. The seeds are a little up in the air still, but we have all eight teams are in. Indiana and Detroit have clinched. Chicago and Washington, not so much. And Pau Gasol is not pleased. So, Morton, it sounds like from recent reports that the Bulls are actually considering moving on from Powell this offseason. He's a free agent. He's made it very clear that he, or he can be a free agent, and he's made it very clear that he plans on testing his free agency. He's going to decline his player option. Uh, And it sounds like they want Joakim Noah back on a short-term deal instead of Powell. So what do you think about that direction for the Bulls? It just makes me wonder why they didn't move him at the trade deadline in the first place when they had the Kings deal. <laughs> this is just such a poorly managed team. It's unbelievable. Um, I mean, I know that you're pretty upset about the whole Colangelo hire, and I get that. But it's it's equally as horrible in Chicago these days with, with the Gar Foreman just not being able to really figure out how to do this. He's, um, he's a proud man, and he's trying his best. I've got to give him that because he, he really, when he gets something stuck on his mind, he sticks with it, and he goes all the way. Just look at the Hoiberg hire, and, and in extension of that, the, the, the Thibodeau fire b- before that. So he's going all in on this team, and I, I can appreciate the fact that he wanted to see what this roster could do under new management in, uh, in terms of Hoiberg, but it just didn't flow, and Pau Gasol in particular is, is a culprit of that. He can't rotate to save his life, so yeah, he can make jumpers, but... He doesn't rebound in traffic. He can't move his body. He's he's really just a big old slow log. And I, I don't think his character fits with this team because this team was built on efficient defense and rotating and helping the, each other out. And what, what Pau usually does when he's on defense is point at others and yell and scream uh, if they if they mess up. And when he messes up, it's like, oh, okay, he shucks it off. It, it's just poor body language all the way through. So I'm I'm pleased to see Pau go elsewhere if that's the case. And as for Joe, I mean, could you could either of you imagine Joe in another uniform? No, I don't want to. I mean, I wouldn't pay him top dollar. I mean, I wouldn't pay him anything remotely close to 13 or 14 million but he's probably going to get something like that if it's a short-term deal but 
uh, I'll live with it. I, I just hope he isn't the main free agent signing this summer because that would be mm. kind of hideous. <laughs> Especially <laughs> as the team is bound to rebuild. I mean, they yeah. need to blow this up. A lot of Bulls fans right now are talking about retooling or rebuilding, and rebuilding is the is the only way to go, really. Yeah, it seems like... I mean, I feel like it's underrated that Mike Dunleavy was out for half the year because last year when he was out for a few games, he kind of proved to be the glue guy in that starting unit. He was... You know, he, he's not a high-octane 20 points per game scorer but he provides the spacing on offense and he just, the ball doesn't stick as much. It seems like when he's on the floor. So him missing half year certainly didn't help. Um, I think we've talked about this off the air and I, I'm not sure if we even mentioned it before, but the thing that gets me about Pau is he needs to be coming off the bench. Like he was just such a bad fit next to Nico or next to, he just, Next to Joe, I mean, that was never going to work. It's the same thing with the Sixers and Okafor and MB or New Orleans. It's, you know, you just can't have two post-centric big men on the court together starting in this type of NBA where small ball is all the rage. So Powell could have been a great sixth man, just dominate uh, reserve bigs and feast for 25 minutes a night. You don't have to worry about defense as much because the guys you're going against aren't as talented. And then come off the court at crunch time. Or if you need offense, you know, if you're trying to stage a comeback, bring him in. But it does seem like his <laughs> adamant refusal to accept a smaller role, which I'm guessing dates back to his time with the Lakers when when they imported Dwight and Steve Nash and then they tried to shrink Powell's role and he got mopey and his effectiveness waned. I'm guessing when he came to the Bulls, he basically said, "I'm not, I'm not willing to take a smaller role here." Um, but it yeah. really seems to me like that's been that more than anything else has been the key to why this whole thing hasn't worked as well as it should. Because on paper, the Bulls are one of the most talented teams in the East, but it just didn't come out that way this year. No, Powell, he wanted to close games as well, um, and that provided a problem because the Bulls always closed well with, with uh, Joe mm -hmm. and Taj because mm -hmm. they were so excellent def defensively together. And with Taj evolving his offensive game, it provided the Bulls with that little necessary spark block. With Powell, however, that <laughs> was not the case. He could really only shoot that mid-range jump shot and then milk the clock on the low block and that's not what you need at the end of the game you need stops and you need transition baskets off of those stops and when Pau couldn't really run along with those guys things started to slow down and the Bulls are not a great offensive team by any stretch of the imagination they haven't been for a while so when they got a guy in there who needed the ball that much and for that long the offense just stalled and that led to a lot of Jimmy Butler isolations instead and uh, it was just a, it was just a poor, poor signing. I mean, don't get me wrong; it was a wonderful value. It was just a poor fit. It, mm -hmm. it, he shouldn't have been there, and that that was he was the compensation price because they were going after Carmelo that year, and Carmelo decided to take the money and and remain in New York. I don't blame him for that. That was a, he had one hundred and twenty four <laughs> million good reasons to do that. <laughs> and, and Powell, in terms of value, was a great deal, but right. he he was just not the right deal. 
and the Bulls need to move on from this and uh, see what they can do. I, I think they're going to go all in on the Fred Hoiberg, uh, Hoiball uh, ideology. So they're going to find lots of shooters and cutters and two-way players, um, probably some vets. <laughs> and, and if not, they're going to sign another 35-year-old because that's <laughs> apparently what they like to do. One thing we can be sure of, though, is welcome back, Kirk Heinrich. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be good to see him get $6 million a year. Don't you see, start, Brian. Just he, see the entire city of Chicago. I live in Chicago, so I don't want my apartment to burn down, but it's going to happen if Kirk Heinrich comes back. Don't give Gar any ideas, Brian. Yeah, well, who, who knows if he'll even be in charge by the time that all starts. Uh, so let's move briefly to Chicago's partner in miserable crime, the Wizards. They, you know, they entered the year looking like one of these upstart teams because they... Played really well in the playoffs last year. They knocked off Toronto by doing the whole small ball with Paul Pierce at the four. Randy Whitman seemed to accept that this roster was built to play that way. And he brought it. He was willing to use Otto Porter in that role. He got a little creative with Kelly Oubre, the rookie. They entered the year as the presumptive favorite to sign Kevin Durant if he wasn't going to go to stay in Oklahoma City. Now it's looking like the KD to DC dream is dead. Um, they are. They seem to be kind of stuck in a weird place because they have Wall and Beal who are in their early to mid-20s, so they have a theoretical backcourt of the future, but then their frontcourt is Nene and Marcin Gortat who are much older and not necessarily on the same timeline of their backcourt so sarah i'm curious if you're the wizards what what do you do here how do you turn this thing around that is a good question brian um i don't really know how they're going to turn it around but they obviously need to bring in some more front court help probably more flexible players in those positions uh i like Gortat, and he's a good good passer. Nene's a decent pace, passer as well, but Nene only plays 56 games this year. doesn't help that Beal plays only 55 either, but, you know, they're going to have to bring in some help. It's it's not enough what they have right now. So where do they look for that? I don't know. You guys have better suggestions about <laughs> that than I ever do, but yeah, they need help. Morton, do you have any thoughts? I know you're, uh, you're probably still scarred from Nene beating up on the Bulls a few years ago in the playoffs. Oh, he was great. He yeah. was really excellent. I mean, I always enjoy watching Nene, and that's really uh, disappointing this year because he's become a 20-minute player due to the injuries, and, and that's a bit of a shame. But then again, you know, he's not a floor spacer. He doesn't really fit into this new NBA kind of ball, and that's why Washington this year went out and got Markeith Morris. He's the replacement for Nene long-term. At least that's what they hope. I'm not so sure personally. It it remains to be seen if Markeith can remain professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my doubts. But yeah, they need, they need more shooters. And then they need to figure out what the hell to do with Bradley Beal. Because he insinuated that he was not going to be a big-minute player for the rest of his career, potentially, due to injuries. And uh, that when you come out and say stuff like that and sort of limit yourself to a role of 25, 28 minutes, it becomes wildly concerning. And if he's not their starting two guard who can be relied relied upon for 75 games a year, 
then you need to discover and or learn what to do with him here. You need to figure out, should he be traded? Should he just come off the bench and be their official six-man? I mean, what to do here? Bradley Beal, in my eyes, is is the big key. Yeah. Uh, and while we're at the subject of Washington, John Wall is just amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, he, so he's he's so good. I've been really been looking a lot at at him this year, and this guy just does everything. He's been the heart and soul for this team all year long. And regardless of their situation, um, I haven't seen a game where he hasn't gone pedal to the metal. I mean, th- this guy is just unreal. And Casey Johnson from the Chicago Tribune, he put up a tweet where he just asked people like, "Who would you take, Kyrie or John Wall?" And I went through that tweet's answers, and I think one out of 70, 75 people <laughs> said Kyrie. Everyone was, oh, was on wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and it boggles my mind that that's still somehow a conversation because yeah. I, I would say the wall is the best two-way point guard in the NBA right now. Like, yeah. there are none. That seems, I mean, I think he's at least, just in terms of uh, if you're going to rank the point guards, you got to have him if not in the top five, very close to it. I mean, Curry, Westbrook, CP3 are the clear top three. Kyle Lowry probably moves into number four this year, but after that, it's probably Waller or Lillard, right? I mean... Yeah. I, I could even see an argument be made for Wall over Kyle Lowry just because yeah. of the, the raw talent level, but I get why Lowry would, would be ranked higher by some. But, oh, I mean, they need to build around Wall, of course. I mean, that's a foregone conclusion, but... It's really about locating who and identifying, you know, the right players. Otto Porter, is he a long-term piece? I don't know, but he doesn't really seem to be the biggest difference maker. Uh, I like when he when they go small and he, he plays some small ball four because he can handle, he can stretch it a little bit, but he's not a volume shooter. I was also expecting him to be a little bit of a better defender than he is. He's still mm-hmm. solid, but I thought he would really be excellent there. Uh, yeah, so... He's got some potential left. He's still only 22, 23, so the book isn't written on him, but yeah, it's it's going to be a long offseason for him. They need to identify a lot of new players. Yeah, I'm with you in thinking that Beal is the key to this whole thing, especially because he's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason. So it's, you know, the Washington tried to negotiate a extension with him, and then they decided against it because they wanted to preserve cap space for their KD pitch uh, because his cap Beal's cap hold is going to be a lot lower than it will be once they sign him to the extension. So I'm very curious to see what happens with Beal. I think he's one of the most, uh, based on the injury history, one of the most intriguing free agents out there because if healthy, he's a max player, right? I mean, he's uh, almost a 40% shooter from three on 4.5 attempts per game. He has an averaged... He's a 16-point-per-game scorer over his four-year career so far. Decent defender. Yeah, I mean, he's... Good size. Great, great player, but he's basically the Anthony Davis of guards now. He's only played 70 or more games once. He's played 60 or fewer twice. So you do have to start wondering, am I going to get more than 65 games out of this guy? And if not, can I build around him? And, you know, as a as a Sixers guy where we have not a single competent member of the backcourt, he's the type of guy who I'm thinking, you know, maybe that's the guy you go after. Maybe that's the guy you start dangling 18, 19 million in front of and say, 
all right, Washington, pony up or give up one of your young studs. But I'm also terrified of signing another injury risk after having to worry about Joel Embiid for the last two years. Yeah, I I would be very worried about going after Bradley Beal, like period, for any team this summer. Uh, even, even Washington themselves, who have all the insult they need on him, they're probably a little bit concerned about going all going all in and offering him five years, mm-hmm. uh, especially with those comments. I mean, a player himself acknowledging that he may not ever be fully healthy—that's yeah—that that's not something I would dare investing in unless I was absolutely sure that did not come to to fruition. And it's been the same injury every time. It's not like he's you know, had a freak, like, broken arm once or in a torn rotator cuff. It's always the same stress reaction, stress kind of thing. So that that is a concern. Um, you know, Drew Holiday had similar issues the past couple of years. This year he stayed mostly healthy, so it goes to show that it's not necessarily a career ender. But New Orleans also had to be really careful with Drew, and he came off the bench for most of the year. It limited his minutes a lot, so it does make you wonder how much Bradley Beal is going to be able to contribute. Going from one star two guard to another, we got the vintage Mamba performance that we were clamoring for. We got it on Sunday against the Rockets. He had 35 points on 10 of 22 shooting, 4 of 11 from 3. But he got outdone because James Harden had 41 and 14, (laughs) keeping Houston barely alive in the playoff race. So right now it's Monday. We have three days left in the regular season. And heading into tonight, Dallas is 7th, Utah is 8th, they're a game behind the Mavs, and then Houston is ninth. they're a game behind Utah. So tonight we have Dallas at Utah, um, and then Houston is at Minnesota, and the last game of the season on Wednesday, Dallas is at home against San Antonio, Utah is at the Lakers, and Houston is versus the boogie-less Sacramento Kings. So I'm curious, guys. Who do you think? Who do you think ends up seventh and eighth, and who do you think misses the playoff picture? Sarah, we'll start with you. I'm gonna go keeping it like it is. Uh, Dallas seven, Utah eight, and some of that is wishful thinking because I just really don't want Houston to get in. <laughs> but and they have they have an easy path. They really do. They probably have the best schedule left. Mm-hmm. But just please stay out. <laughs> please stay out. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. Um, but for Dallas, you know, say Pop sends, you know, Boban and the the trainer and, and Becky Hammond to go play in Dallas that last game, that could help them. But I'm really excited uh, for Dallas-Utah. That's a big game. Yeah, it's going to be uh, good. I, I can't believe still that Utah dropped that game at home against the Clippers, basically the Clippers bench. What was it? No DJ, no JJ, no Blake, no CP3. <laughs> and they lo- and they lose on a Jamal Crawford three at the last second, I think in overtime. That really hurts. Yeah, that was, that was a brutal I still, loss. I still think slash hope that they can hang in there at the eight spot. Yeah, I, was, I wanted to ask you if you think Pop is going to get screwy with his rotations against Dallas to kind of jostle seedings around i don't know if he's you know looking at the seedings as much i just you know he's not playing all out that's a back-to-back right so it's either either the 
the OKC game or the Dallas game. He's not playing everybody, and it probably okay. will be Dallas since mm-hmm. they have to travel even though it's a short flight. So, but we'll see. You never know exactly what he's going to do. But he's definitely not playing everybody both games, that's for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Morton, what do you think? How does it shake out here? Yeah, I think, like Sarah, it is as it stands right now. I think Utah will hang on as well as Dallas. and uh, or yeah, so, yeah, Utah and Dallas and then Houston will just be waving bye-bye. For the rest of the season, because <laughs> you know, and that would be sort of fitting as well, given all the turmoil in Houston with the Dwight and and James Harden nightmare. Uh, it's just been it's just been such a weird team this year. They they haven't really strung together any significant streak, and there's been chemistry issues, and everything has just been blah ever since making uh, the Western Conference Finals last year. It's just such a major disappointment that. Not making the playoffs would just be sort of fitting. And also, what the hell was Daryl Morey thinking with that uh, Corey Brewer contract? <laughs> Someone made... needs to explain that to me, like seriously. Yeah, he's made some <laughs> he's made some questionable moves lately. It'll be I'm intrigued to see what Houston does this off season because it feels like I don't want to say Morey might not be on the hot seat necessarily, but I, I wouldn't feel great about his job security after after going from what they were last season, regressing to this season. Mirza Tsiletovic. Like, seriously, would there be anyone yeah. better for that team, assuming they keep Dwight around? They, they, yeah. They've been looking for this stretch for for a while, and if there is a right. gunner out there who would fit the bill, it's Mirza. Yeah, because they have oh, Terrence and Donatus Matayunas are both restricted free agents this offseason, I want to say. So they could very well be in the market for a new four and a new stretch four in particular. So I, I like Mirza there. That would be fun. Better than paying Ryan Anderson $20 million a year. Which he's going to get. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. I I think Utah beats Dallas tonight. Dallas is really banged up. Uh, J.J. Barea got hurt over the weekend. Darren Williams did come back yesterday, but this is now the second night of a back-to-back, and... I don't know that he's fully healthy. I mean, I, I'm, again, not a doctor, never going to claim to be, but personally it would seem like a sports hernia is not something you can get over in a week and be 100% and at no risk of aggravating it. So a home game against Dallas seems like it's setting us up for a just an awesome last day of the regular season because then – I believe Dallas and Utah would then be tied, and if Houston beats Minnesota, they'll be a game back. So anything could happen. Uh, I'm personally rooting for Dallas 7th, Utah 8th, Houston out, because I think Utah-Golden State would be the most fun of those first-round opponents. And then seeing Dirk and Timmy going at it one more time in the playoffs would be that'd be nice. We deserve that. It seems like everyone outside of Houston fans... Are rooting for Houston to to make the <laughs> you don't want to see that team. I don't want to see Dwight moping and James Harden gunning <laughs> for four games before they get knocked out. Like you, you guys had your shot last year. You blew it. Just time to restart that one. Speaking of James, last year he was the MVP runner up. Do you do any of you have him even in the top five this year? No, no, yeah, me not even close. Yeah, I. I think, I mean, this year, obviously, Steph, if he's not the unanimous MVP, someone did something wrong. But 
he really deserves to be. The two through five race, I mean, we Sarah and I touched on this last time. It's Russell's got a case, Kawhi has a case, KD, LeBron, all of those are good options. But James Harden, no, just. He played defense last year. He stopped playing defense this year, and his team lost, what, 20 more games than they did last year? It's, it shouldn't, MVP shouldn't necessarily be uh, based on team success, but it is. It at least gets factored into it. And if your team is going to miss the playoffs, you need to have a historically great season, which James is not doing. I, Do you guys think Houston fans really want to see them make it either i think if they're honest with themselves <laughs> they don't really want it you know what now that you mentioned i actually have uh, a houston friend who, who mentioned to me a couple weeks back that this team doesn't even deserve to make the playoffs i'm just rooting for them yeah. to lose so that's actually a good point <laughs> yeah i think they're done too they've been sad all season they've been <laughs> tired of watching this team so they sound yeah. like bulls fans yeah, yeah. They're, the, they're the western conference bulls fans so for our Where Amazing Happens segment this week, because this is such a weird time of the season when guys like Tyler Ennis are playing 35 minutes a night, we're not going to see, you know, stars are resting. We're not seeing much in terms of Russell Westbrook having yet another triple-double. So instead, I want to take this time to talk about a few of the regular season award races. As we just mentioned, MVP should be a shoo-in for Steph. Two through five is a little interesting, but we're not going to have much debate there. Uh, Rookie of the year, the same way. If Carl Anthony Towns is not clear number one, unanimous number one, people are not watching. Kristaps had a great year, but Towns is a historically great big man. I am curious, though, who do you guys have, assuming you have Towns one, Kristaps two, who do you have third on your rookie of the year ballot? Sarah, we'll start with you. I don't even make... A one through five, you guys. <laughs> so I don't have that many listed. Uh, so you're going to have to go for it. I have Nikola Jokic from Denver. He really has risen in the last few weeks. Uh, I, I take him over Tangelo Russell this year because he's just been better, honestly, <laughs> more efficient, higher PER. Just He looks more comfortable out there. And then I have, yeah, Russell as the four. And then, Brian, before we started shooting, I mentioned Jalil as number five. And you looked at me like I was some fool and said, what about Devin Booker? And you're mm-hmm. right. I was a fool. Devin Booker is my fifth guy. And Jalil, sorry, bro. You're, you're number six now. Jalil's number one in getting into street fights. <laughs> That's true. Something. That's true. Yeah. That actually, you know what? He's back up at five then. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Devin. Yeah, I'm, I've got Devin at three. I know I'm being a slave to the, what happened in the last month, but Phoenix would be, I mean, they're already hot garbage, but they would just be so horrifically bad without what he's been doing since Bledsoe went down and since Knight got hurt. And he gives them, I mean, I, I wrote about this at Well Breakdown, he gives them hope for the future because now instead of doing this dual point guard ridiculousness that they've had for the past three seasons now booker is your clear starter at the two long term so now you get to choose between bledsoe or knight as your starting point guard bring one off the bench if you don't want to but honestly try to trade one of them whichever one you don't want to keep around as your starter and then start building up the rest of your roster then you start to 
get a little frisky in the West. It's not going to be, they're not going to fall into 40 wins again like they did uh, two seasons ago. But he's at least, at least looks like a true long-term piece to the puzzle. Um, I do have Jokic four, and then I actually went with Justice Winslow at five because I just think he's not doing as much in terms of box score contributions as many of the other rookies, but he's playing so well for a Miami team that looked like they could fall apart at a couple different times this season. Um, but he, his play off the bench, or sometimes he's moved into the starting lineup, he's just been so consistently good, especially on defense. Um, so I just wanted it in my fake ballot that will not count for anything. I wanted to give him a little shout-out. I think the the main race that is going to be not necessarily most controversial, but there's no clear front-runner in six-man of the year. You've got at least, honestly, five to ten candidates, all of whom could be good. Uh, so, Morton, let's start with you here. Who do you have as your six-man of the year? Andre Iguodala. Like it. Yeah. And then at number two, I have Will, Bar- Bar- Will Barton. I have, a, I have a hard time saying Barton for some reason. And then at number three, Bismack Biombo, And four, Jamal Crawford. And five, Jeremy Lin. And honestly, I chose Iggy because he's a two-way player. I'm really tired of this award being just for Gunners. A couple of years back, Jamal won it over Tosh Gibson, who was just playing beautifully all year long off the bench, uh, finishing games because of his defense and just actually being an elite defender at that point in time. And he was just, he was robbed because he didn't put up those high scoring numbers. So I felt it's time to recognize the, the guys who comes off the bench for defensive purposes. And, and Iggy can score, he can defend, he can handle, he can pass. He really has no significant weakness to his games outside of free throws, but yeah, that's that's such a minor part of his game anyway. So I think he's the man for for the six men. I like it. What about you, Sarah? Do you have a a six man of the year front runner? Yeah, I agree that Iggy is probably should win. <laughs> I think he's he's the most important six man on the best team. You know, I think the voters maybe they. They dock him for his low scoring output or, or the fact that he missed 17 games, but I think he, he should pretty much be the winner as long as the dubs keep going comprised as they are. Um, it, you know, I really like Will Barton, uh, but I, you know, I don't think he's going to win it simply because the Nuggets are not, not very good at the moment. Um, I think Ennis Cantor and Jamal Crawford are going to be in the mix, uh, because, you know, you've got, uh, the Clippers who have missed, uh, Blake for most of the season and Jamal's been part of helping them hold it together, get that fourth seed, uh, and his canter has been a big part of the Thunder's offensive attack at the very least, uh, 12.7 points, eight rebounds a game. But I think, I think, uh, if I had to pick somebody to win it, that I think is going to win it, even though I think Iggy deserves it, it would probably be Jamal or Cantor. Yeah, I, I think both of those guys are going to get far more votes than any of us would like to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to go a little contrarian here, apparently. I thought, I mean, I, I, I think this guy is not necessarily the clear favorite, but Drew Holiday, he's been so good this year. And 
the Pelicans had to keep bring him off the bench because he was on a minutes restriction for a lot of the year, and then he got the minutes restriction lifted, and Alvin Gentry just said, "Well, I just like Drew off the bench. That's how we how we go, especially with Tyreek and Eric Gordon as our front or backcourt before both of them and the rest of the team got hurt." Um, I mean, Drew. He's playing 28.2 minutes a game, averaging nearly 17 points, 6 assists, 3 rebounds, almost a steal and a half per game, 1.33s. You know, I, I've i loved Drew since he was a Sixer, obviously. I'm still a Drew homer, um, and I'm just personally happy that he's gotten over his injury issues, or at least, you know, has played most of this season. I just think he deserves recognition. I mean... It's almost cheating because he was a starter for the first five, six years of his career, and now his injuries have forced him to come off the bench. Um, but I just think he was he's played so well for the Pellies this year. He deserves some love. Um, another guy, I think Jeremy Lin at least gets a couple votes. Um, he's been really, really good for Charlotte, and I kind of had a feeling this would happen because... Last year, he played for the Lakers, and Byron Scott refused to let him run pick and roll, which is literally his game. And he butted heads with Byron all year. And then he goes to Charlotte, and they have Kemba, where they just run nonstop pick and rolls. So he was a perfect fit there. Um, But yeah, he's averaging, let's see, almost 12 points a game, three rebounds, three assists, got three, almost a steal, and... 26 minutes he stepped in a couple times as a starter and has played really well and charlotte is surprisingly good so i'm guessing he gets some love and then yeah you guys mentioned will barton love him love what he did this year uh he would be he's definitely in the top three of my ballot as well so i think the next one that's going to be again not necessarily controversial but one where there's not a clear favorite is coach of the year I think you can, honestly, almost a third of the league has at least some claim uh, to Coach of the Year outside of the Lakers and the Kings. So, Sarah, do you have anyone on your ballot that's not named Greg Popovich? Yeah, I actually do. I don't. Oh. I wouldn't vote for Pop probably this year. Oh wow! Okay. Um, I think at least I love the the guys that are in the mix this year. There's so many people who have. Uh, a good argument. Uh, I think, first of all, obviously Steve Kerr was hurt and not able to be on the bench for a, a lot of the year, but they're going to have to give him coach of the year at some point if he keeps winning 67, 70 <laughs> games every year. Uh, certainly, so he's got a big argument. I really like Terry Stotts. I think like, nobody has done what they just did, losing that many starters and making the playoffs. So I I would probably vote for him. I would have him at the top of my list. Uh, but it, it's a tough call between him and Kerr. Uh, and then I love Brad Stevens as well. So that would probably be my top three. I like it. What about you, Martin? I have Pop at, at one, simply because I feel he's the best coach in the game. But yeah, I have Steve Kerr at two. But here's the thing. If Kerr had coached all year long, like okay, he he sort of did indirectly via Lou Golden, but still, if he'd not been on the bench all year long, I would have given him the the top seed. But I'm just going with Pop because of everything else. But Kerr and slash 
Luke Walden deserves second place here. Uh, simply because of winning 72, potentially 73. I mean, you can't really <laughs> ignore that. And then, yeah, Terry Stotts, uh, as Sarah mentioned, number three, because he's just been amazing. Then I have Rick Carlisle at four. Uh, Rick is just overall a great coach, and with an aging roster and so much roster turnover at times, and with the whole DeAndre Jordan thing going bad, he, he just kept the team in focus, and they look pretty good at times. Sometimes they, they show their age, but that's <laughs> you can't avoid that, uh, and that's really no fault of his. And then I have Mike Budenholzer at five, but I could be convinced for, for Brad Stevens. I brought up Budenholzer because they lost Demari Carroll, and they've still somehow been mm-hmm. really, really terrific, and it seems like whoever you slot into that three spot this year can base more. Budenholzer somehow finds a way to make them great uh really terrific ball players so that's why he gets the nod but brad stevens is a really good name and now i'm kind of kind of wobbling a little bit yeah i didn't even think about bud but he's he's another one see that's it's this race there are so many guys who deserve it that they really i mean they're not going to split the award or anything but like you can i there are at least five or six guys where if they get it i'm not going to be upset i'll at least understand um, I'm with you guys. I think Terry Stotts definitely deserves some recognition, at least in the top three. I have him at number one as well, just because, as Sarah said, they lost four fifths of their starting lineup, <laughs> and they're in the playoffs, like comfortably in the playoffs. And it's not just having Damian Lillard or and CJ McCollum, who we'll get to in a second, but Stotts has really shown some flexibility with his lineup choices because you know you're importing so many new guys and you got rid of you got rid of Batum, you got rid of Wes Matthews, you got rid of Lamarcus. Like these are not small pieces to your team. But he's figured out how to make Alfaruk Aminu play well. He's figured out how to get Ed Davis playing well. Recently Mo Harkless has been awesome for them and he's kind of moved him into the starting lineup and doing more small ball stuff with them. And then, you know, he figured out Mason Plumley and Myers Leonard for a while before Myers got hurt. So I just think the adaptability of Stotts deserves some recognition. Um, and on that same note, he, next guy is number five on my list, but Dave Jorger of Memphis? Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. how the hell is that Grizzlies <laughs> team in the playoffs? They have no one. They have, like, Lance Stevenson is their top offensive threat right now. <laughs> and they're still comfortably in the playoffs so i think him surviving gasol being hurt and zebo was out for a while and then conley went down like few teams can survive their top three guys going out for extended periods two of whom are out for the year and still play well but yorger has he's done a really good job of keeping that team into the mix stevens is number two on mine Steve Clifford in Charlotte is number three, again, just because they made some moves. They got Batum this offseason, so they should have been better. But I don't think any of us thought they would be this good. I mean, they're, I don't know that they're going to knock off the Cavs or the Raptors or even survive their first-round series, but they're at least a threat. You know, they're not one of those teams where you win 40 games and you have no ceiling, or you have that's your ceiling. Like, you have no hope of actually moving on to the second round or the conference finals. If things break right for them, they actually could. And I think Clifford deserves a lot of credit for that. And then Pop is my number four. 
mainly just because I'm not quite sure how the NBA is going to handle the Kerr-Luke Welton thing. I think I've seen that they might be separately, um, they might be considered as separate cases. So if you combine them, I think, you know, <laughs> if you're going to be 73 and 9, you have to give them at least top two, top three. But if they're separate, um, I think that's going to hurt each of them. And then way, way down at the very bottom, George Carl is number 10 million, and Byron Scott is 10 million and one. Because, oh my God, they both of those guys should have been fired three months ago. The fact that they still have their jobs is it's a testament to what bad teams can do. Um, so I want to touch briefly on Defensive Player of the Year, because I think it's a two-man race. I think we can all agree with some fringe contenders, as much as Hassan Whiteside wants to be considered <laughs> a contender. Uh, it's really down to Draymond Green and Kawhi Leonard. So we'll start with you, Sarah, as our resident Spurs expert. <laughs> Do you have the claw over Dre? You know what's funny is I kind of favored Draymond last year, but Kawhi won, and and this year I kind of feel like Kawhi has been even stronger. But I certainly wouldn't be upset if Draymond won. You know, his his ability to play that that center spot and defend there enables them to play that death lineup that is part of what makes them so dangerous. Um, so he definitely deserves recognition. Uh, I feel like if you can't choose between Kawhi and Draymond, just vote Tim Duncan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really don't expect Timmy to get any love, but I think, hey, if Kobe can be an all-star, why can't Tim be defensive player of the year? He he probably should have won it at least once Twice. over the course of his career. Twice. Yeah, see? Twice or three times at least, man. Yeah, So and he still is leading the league in defensive real plus minus at 39 years old. So oh and there's at least some basis for it there. <laughs> That's absurd. And he's He's actually a robot. When we when humans get taken over in fifty years, we're gonna look back and say we should have recognized Tim Duncan as patient zero of the robot takeover. Uh, Morton, how about you, Dre or Kawhi? Well, I have Scottie Pippen at first. Oh, good because okay. yeah, that's that's basically who Kawhi is at this point. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I I have really have nothing else to say about Kawhi other than the fact that he's amazing when when you see him playing. Uh, the passing lanes and playing on ball and you know a point was made by Zach Lowe I think a year back that seems or players within 20 feet of Kawhi were trying to like pass the ball in the opposite direction just to avoid him and I started uh, tracking that a little bit or, or at least uh, looking at it as much as I could and it's so true teams are looking at where he is physically standing on the court and actively avoiding those areas and even when they are he can just sprint one way and get it you know tip the ball away or at least make the entry pass difficult he's he's just so versatile and um there is an awesome i think 10 minute highlight video of scotty pippen doing defensive plays on youtube and I started putting those up side by side while I was watching Kawhi play defense, and there are so many similarities right there. The fact that he fights over to deny post position, and you know he he doesn't really gamble, but he still plays the passing lanes so well. He really anticipates it, and he can even rotate in and play post D, and and, and while 
guarding point guards at times. I don't. I love Draymond. I love the fact that Dray he can also pick up small guys and and go bang in the post as well. But for anyone being that talented as as the claw, you just gotta hand it to him. You just gotta hand it to him. I don't see how anyone can can really match him this year. It's he's so far above everyone else. It's kind of like uh, like I said about Iguodala should probably win six man every year. Uh, Kawhi, <laughs> if they really were going to give it to the best player, should probably win defensive player every year. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a fair point. I I personally have. I mean, it's again we've all of us have said it. It's either one of these guys deserves it, and it's just like just a razor margin. I actually have Trey over Kawhi just because of what he enables Golden mm-hmm. State to do. Like without that death lineup. They're a great team, but are they a historically great team? Probably not. And, you know, maybe this is me just thinking Dre should have won last year and now Kawhi got his, so Dre should get Kawhi's. Um, I just think that his his positional versatility, I can't think of another guy outside of LeBron James who could guard one through five and actually shut down any of those players. Towns is on his way there, it seems. But <laughs> Dre's and, and LeBron, he can do it, but he didn't love doing it. Like he's very reluctant to take on those challenges, except for in the playoffs or except for on a yeah. possession by possession basis. Yeah. Dre loves it. He just eats it up. He's like, give me anyone. I don't care. Let's go. So maybe I just like his brashness uh, as well. There's no, I mean, statistically, Kawhi has the case over Dre, but just based on what I've seen and what I think Dre unlocks for the Warriors, he gets my vote just by the tiniest of margins. You're such a contrarian. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged. Um, the last award race I want to touch on here is most improved player, because it looks like, as we mentioned, CJ McCollum seems like he's going to get it, uh, he's just been so good, and it historically tends to go to a guy who whose role increases significantly, and he performs well. And that's that's the case with CJ, especially with the player the Blazers uh, playoff bid actually coming through. Um, curious to hear other candidates for the second, third, fourth slots from you guys. So, Morton, get us started here. Yeah, like you, I have CJ at number one for. The reasons you already stated jay crowder is my guy at number two he's just so good and and, and a two-way player and really developed here after coming to boston then i got draymond at the three nice. spot because he just became such an all-around presence then Giannis under the combo at four same <laughs> argument for draymond honestly and then five will barton um who's been on numerous lists recently because he's just so darn good two-way guy can run shoot Jump, handle, rebounds wonderfully. So, yeah, that's my list. I like it. Sarah, how about you? Who's your your non-CJ McCollum <laughs> most improved player? My non-CJ. Uh, I had not thought of uh, Jay Crowder, and that is an excellent choice. Um, I think Giannis should be in there. He. Uh, I wonder if he'd be even higher if he'd been a point guard all year. <laughs> that yeah. would be interesting. Um, but, you know, I also think Kawhi deserves to be in the conversation anyway. 
before this year, I think for his career, he was averaging 12 points per game. This year he's averaging 21. And he had never shot better than, I think, a shade below 38% from three. And this year he's at 45%. So, and, and just he's taken on a much bigger role on the team as well. He's, he's literally the guy now. You know, he, the Spurs are going to go as he goes. And obviously he's got LaBarcus over there to help. But he's, he's definitely should get votes, I think. Yeah, I like the Kawhi pick. I'm, I'm wondering if Stephen Curry's going to get some love. Because, again, you know, historical season for the Warriors, historical season for Steph. He's already just <laughs> obliterated the all-time three-point record, um, and now he could even hit four hundred threes. Uh, and he's just—I mean, his defense. Coach Nick had a video recently about why he's nowhere near as bad as people think he is on defense. Like he—he. It's not always gambling necessarily, but he plays passing lanes very well, and he helps spark that fast break. And then once, once he's running with another warrior, it's over. Like he's either going to pull up for three, which is absurd just to even say, or he's going to feed. I think there was one play last night in the Dub Spurs game where he came up with a seal late in the game and then fed Clay for just like a, basically the game clinching dunk with like minute and a half, two minutes left. Um, so I, I wouldn't have him number one. CJ is my number one as well. But I, I think he's at least probably top three. I think Jay Crowder also. You guys are right to include him. Love Will Barton. Love Giannis. Uh, Kemba Walker, I also want to give a little oh, shout-out yeah. to. Because he's... Charlotte, I was critical of what they did this off season because I thought it was... You're, you're kind of punting on the long term, like you're getting rid of Vonley for Batum, who could leave after this year. And I still, I mean, depending on what happens with Batum, we'll see. But I just thought there was no no real long-term upside to that move because they didn't have that true superstar to build around. Kemba's, he's come alive this year. He, you know, I don't know if he is a true superstar to, per se, but... He's at least played at an all-star caliber level, which I didn't see coming for him this rapidly. So, Kemba gets some love from me. Um, it's it's funny you mentioned that with the Nick Batum trade because I actually have Rich Show third on my Executive of the Year award because of Nick Batum. Yeah, I thought it was a, a genius move because they really needed this all-around guy who could come in and provide a little bit of offense, some versatile defense, rebound a little bit, pass. Uh, I I absolutely loved it. And combined with Michael Kidd Gilchrist, you could really form uh, a wing duo that was, that would defensively at least going to be amazing. And then he went down and Patum got a chance to step up more so than I even thought, but I loved the move. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Let's actually, let's, I wanted to bring up executive of the year next. So let's, let's go right in there. Um, you know, Cho, I think, is a good one because of everything you just said, Morton. Um, I didn't, you know, again, I didn't love that move necessarily just because of the risk of Batum fleeing, but the Jeremy Lin signing was great. Um, you know, we, we there were rumors that Boston offered the farm for the number nine pick, so if that is true and he really turned down four first-rounders for Frank Kaminsky, we can debate the wisdom of that. Um, Sarah, do you have anyone on your 
prospective executive of the year list? I like Stan. <laughs> Stan yeah. the man. Mm-hmm. I really like that Detroit team. So, yeah, I would probably go with him. Uh, and Rich Cho is a good good one as well. But I would have Van Gundy over him right now. Yeah, Van Gundy is second on mine, I think. Between the the Reggie Jackson thing last year, I mean, he didn't... The, the trade itself happened the previous season, but having the foresight to say this guy can be a great pick-and-roll partner with Drummond, we're going to get him for cheap, and then we're going to sign him for what looked like an atrocious overpay at the time, but now that we know the new cap environment, five years, 80 million is not too bad for a starting point guard. So that was great. And my God, I'm, I think every podcast from here on out, I'm just going to make fun of Orlando for the Tobias Harris trade, if that's cool <laughs> with you guys. Funny. But that was the most... Uh, the most atrocious non-Sam Hankey-related trade of the year. Like, getting Tobias Harris, a 23-year-old, on a very reasonable contract, who is a perfect fit next to Andre Drummond, for nothing but expiring contracts, is amazing. So, good work, Stan Van. You have... hes I mean, he's one of the only guys. Like, Doc Rivers is just so badly bungling the dual coach-GM role. It's nice to see Van Gundy proving that it can work and that you can, you, you even in that role, and you're a coach, and you want to win right away, and you want short-term, you, you want to develop the short-term priorities, but Van Gundy is clearly thinking long-term in mind as well. Um, Neil Olshey of Portland is my, he, he's not a number one, just because of what we talked about um, before. I mean, that Blazers team had no business in the playoffs. I think they're Preseason over-under was 26-and-a-half, somewhere around there. Like, people thought they were going to be at the very bottom of the West. So, him having the stones to say, all right, LaMarcus doesn't look like he's going to re-sign here. They, you know, they didn't have to trade Batum. <laughs> they could have tried to re-sign Wes Matthews and Robin Lopez, but once LaMarcus was out, they're like, that's it. That's the ceiling for this team. Let's start fresh. And I, I just love the idea of... You have this franchise cornerstone in Lillard. He's 24, 25. Let's get young guys on the same developmental timeline and let's sign them to long-term deals so we can build this core for the next couple of years. It's not like we're going to have to start fresh with a whole new cast of players next year. Like We've got Aminu. We've got Ed Davis. We've got McCollum. We've got Myers Leonard. Or no, he might be a restricted. Uh, we have Mason Plumlee. Like those five guys are going to be there next year, so even if guys like Alan Crabb, Mo Harkless leave, you still have a nice young core to build around. Um, and R.C. Buford, I mean, yeah, props for getting Lamarcus like that. You know, every time we say the Spurs are about to die, we all for the last five years, this is always the last year, and now, you know, Tim hasn't. As we talked about earlier, Tim's kind of been. Not a huge factor this year. Tony Parker's fading into the background, but they have Lamarcus and they have Kawhi. And if Danny Green rounds back into form, they have a new big three, which is just absurd. So the Spurs are going to be around forever, and Sarah's just going to be gloating for the next ten years. So they get they get my votes. Jerry Colangelo, meanwhile, is dead last. <laughs> just just not even on the ballot. No, R.C. Buford is my top choice as well. Um, one guy left out. Now, you mentioned Stan Van Gundy. Good choice, by the way. I didn't have on, have him on my list, though. Uh, you mentioned Stan Van Gundy's foresight. 
And because of that, I have Danny Ainge as my second guy. Because after all, he traded for Jay Crowder. He traded Mm -hmm. for a bunch of draft picks that's going to come in nicely and handy. He traded for Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, he made a series of very underrated good moves. And I think he's in a great position to actually take home the award. But when you get LaMarcus, I, I... and to a team like the Spurs, I just gotta hand, gotta hand it to Buford. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point about Ainge because even though they traded for Crowder last year, he was part of the Rondo deal, but they signed him this summer to I think five years, thirty-five million, which is like that's already one of the best value contracts in the NBA. Yeah. And it, we talked about it before how Boston is just set up so well because they have. Like, they have Isaiah to sign to a cheap deal. Avery Bradley signed to a cheap deal. Crowder signed to a cheap deal. Like, they don't have that bloated contract. So they can sign two max guys and still have enough room to build around that that core because they've got guys signed to very reasonable deals. So I, Ainge is a really good pick. I wish I, I did not have him listed <laughs> for me. But that's I like it. Um, all right, so moving on, we're going to touch upon our weekly crushes here. So, Morton, let's start with you. Who are you crushing on this week? Cristiano Felicio. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's one game, I know, but <laughs> this guy came in as a freaking nobody. Like, no one expected anything out of him. People thought he would be waived at the end of the the, the, the training camp and... Yeah, he got some preseason action. People were like, oh, okay, he's just like getting a cup of coffee in the NBA, and that's about it. Now he's he started games, and he's, he's beating up on the Cavs with LeBron and Kevin Love. You know, he, he's, he's really got this very nice game to him. He can shoot a little bit. He, he can finish around the basket. He can rebound. He's a very wonderful passer, and the Bulls are extremely high on him. So... He he's my crush. He he just he's played well in limited minutes, and when he was finally given the minutes uh, against Cleveland, he did very well. Yeah, I really like that pick. I was saying before we started recording uh, for like the last month, I've been tossing around the idea of writing about some undrafted players who have been playing really well, and he was not on my list when I started <laughs> the article. It was it was mostly. Boban and Jonathan Simmons and TJ McConnell. He's on there now. Like if uh if I ever find the time to actually write this thing, uh he's definitely making an appearance on that list. So I love that pick. What about you, Sarah? Who's your crush this week? I'm gonna go with Justin Anderson for the Mavericks. Uh he's been playing really well for them lately in games that they need to have to stay in that playoff hunt. Uh he had career high nineteen points and ten rebounds in three blocks uh, versus Grizz on Friday. And he didn't have big numbers against the, the Rockets the other day. I think it was Wednesday. But he had this great chase down block <laughs> right towards the end of the game that <laughs> may have saved the game for them. It's a lot like the, uh, kind of reminded me of the Tayshawn Prince chase down block like way back. It was like 04, 05. It was 04 playoffs on Reggie Miller. So that was beautiful. So I, I went with the hustle play. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, he's he's been really good. He's one of those guys that kind of flew under the radar during the draft, and it's like just speaks to how good this freaking draft class is that he was, you know, he, 
every lottery pick is fantastic, but there are even these value picks late that look like long-term contributors. Like, God, wish the Sixers had four first-round picks in last year's draft instead of this year's. Thanks, thanks, lottery gods. Um, well, you did have Thomas Robinson, but he's not there anymore. Yeah, he's actually playing pretty well in Brooklyn, Brian. No, he's he's my crush this week, and I I did. You know, he was on the Sixers last year, and I loved him. And I was, like, I thought, am I crazy for wanting to re-sign this guy? Um, I think there was a little bit of bad blood between him and the organization because he was supposed to clear waivers and sign with Brooklyn last year, and then Sam Hinkie <laughs> claimed him. So he got over it, played really well. Uh, his first per 36-minute averages... 17.1 points and 15 rebounds over 22 games with the Sixers. Um, and then this year, you know, it hasn't been playing very much for the Nets until lately, but then they decided to shut down Brooke Lopez and Thad Young for the year because they, I guess they thought they had a lottery pick that they don't have. They wanted to make Boston's pick better. <laughs> so he got hurt on Sunday, but in the previous six games... He averaged 15.3 points, 13 rebounds, 1.7 assists, and 1.3 steals in 28.4 minutes a night, shooting over 50% from the field. He was shooting basically what Andre Drummond did from the free throw line, shot about 34% over those six games. And he's not at all remotely a threat from downtown, so any dreams of him being a stretch four are dead. But that's not what you want him to do. Like, he is just the ultimate rebounding machine. Um, among players with at least 500 minutes this year, he is the fourth best total rebound percentage. He's only trailing Drummond, Hassan Whiteside, and DeAndre Jordan. He's ahead of guys like Ennis Cantor, Dwight Howard, and Rudy Gobert. Like, he's a monster on the glass. And for whatever reason, he wasn't able to crack Brooklyn's rotation all that much. Earlier this year, um, he is signed to a two-year deal. He signed it this past summer, but he has a player option coming up. Got to figure with the cap boom coming, he's going to decline it because I think it's only about a million dollars. So he seems like the guy. Like if, if I'm a if I'm a team in need of a big off the bench that needs some rebounding help, I'm going after this guy hardcore. But he seems like he's definitely going to get underpaid again because he can't really stretch the floor that well. He's like the rich man versions of, of uh, Reggie Evans. I like, oh, yeah. See, I was going to say like a poor man's Kenneth Reed. Oh, yeah. I could see that. I really liked him coming out of Kansas back then. Yeah, I know. I did too. I, I thought he was going to be really, really good, and then I saw he got drafted by Sacramento, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and then his career died. Yeah, one, one time he's going he's gonna to go to the Spurs next year, and he's going to be a total monster just just watch uh so that's gonna do it for us thank you again for joining us for the nba podcast presented by b-ball breakdown thank you to my co-hosts morton and sarah for some always rousing discussion um i am actually leaving the country tomorrow to go on a trip with my wife to europe for a week so morton and sarah will be flying solo without me next time um so, guys, enjoy the rest of the regular season. Please send me emails and let me know all the funny stuff that happens on Wednesday because I'm sure there's going to be just pure madness. And we will catch you guys next time.
Yeah, enjoy your trip, right? Even though you won't even come visit me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, take care, guys. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & and more. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.